welcome all of you online joining us too. Sometimes people ask me, do you guys live stream Thursdays? No, we don't. But I always welcome the people online because most of the time, this is the message that people see on our website. So when they are watching on a Tuesday morning in their pajamas, hi, maybe they're watching inside of a Starbucks, you're like, hi, you know, wherever, wherever and whenever they're watching, they're, they're there, so I always want to welcome them. Um, I got to tell you this too, uh, our, our worship leader Justin is back from his world tour and he's at home sick. So um, be praying for him. He's hoping he'll be past that enough to be here on Sunday. But he really wanted to be here tonight, but he couldn't be back with us just because he's sick and none of us wanted it. So I said, stay at home, right? Uh, but anyway, so thanks for praying for him while he was on his worldwide tour. And um, we'll, we'll hear more about that as we go. Uh, several years back, like a long time ago, my oldest daughter was about 18 months old. Now, that's important to know as I tell you the story, all right? So... We had friends of ours who invited us over to their place, and we would go over to their place and have dinner. And then a lot of times we would jump in the jacuzzi. And they taught us this, this idea of like turning all the lights off, all the house lights, all the lights outside, everything, so you can see the stars. So we would sit on the jacuzzi, and we would talk, and we would laugh, and we'd just have a good time. And we were doing that one night, and there's probably four or five of us in the jacuzzi, and our, our little daughter, 18-month-old Sam, she was about this big at the time, she's just kind of walking around. You know, like you sit in the jacuzzi, she's just kind of going around behind us, just walking around, right? And we're just talking and laughing and talking and laughing and looking at stars, and it's so weird. And our friend's granddaughter, who's maybe four or five at the time, she goes, Sam! Sam! And I'm looking at her like, What? Oh, and I reached down in the middle and grabbed this little arm and just pulled her up, and little Sam goes, <sighs> We were so distracted by just talking and laughing and looking at the stars that our little girl that uh, probably just got knocked over by a jet, <laughs> jacuzzi jet, just threw her right into the middle, but nobody saw her. So distracted, we didn't realize somebody that close to us was like desperately in need of help. And I think the same thing happens to us, doesn't it? Sometimes we just get busy with life. We just get going with life. We, we have so much going on. We're so easily distracted. And they may be important things, and yet somebody could be very close to us and could be desperately in need of help, desperately in need of God's love. And so we're starting a brand new series this week uh, following what we just did. So if you were with us the last few weeks, we did a series called Dangerous Prayers. So we've been praying, like, God, search me and, and break me. And then last week, Donnie wrapped it up, did an amazing job with Send Me. And so the, these next two weeks is kind of this little mini-series is an extension of that prayer, Send Me. So we want to talk about the nuts and bolts and like you know, really getting rubber on the ground here. What, what does this look like when, when he sends us like right into our own community, into our own valley, into our own workspace and school space and neighborhood space? And when he sends us, like what do we need to be thinking about? What, what does this look like? Especially with just a couple weeks from now, Easter coming up. And why that's such an opportunity for us, we, won't, we don't want to miss that. Well, to kind of set the stage for all of this, I want to read a story. This is a little bit longer than I usually read, but um, it's important to get the whole context, right? So this is uh, written by a guy named John Ortberg in a book that uh, he wrote that uh, is, is actually super, super good. And it's called Love Beyond Reason. But he describes something I want you to get. 
Her name was Pandy. She had lost a good deal of her hair. One of her arms was missing. And generally speaking, she'd had the stuffing knocked out of her. She was my sister Barbie's favorite doll. She hadn't always looked like this. She had been a personally selected Christmas gift by a cherished aunt who had traveled to a great department store in faraway Chicago to find her. Her face and hands were made of some kind of rubber or plastic, so they really looked real, but her body was stuffed with rags to feel soft and squeezable like a real baby. When my aunt looked in the display window at Marshall Fields and found Pandy, she knew she had found something very good. When Pandy was young and a looker, Barbie loved her. She loved her with a love that was too strong for Pandy's own good. When Barbie went to bed at night, Pandy lay next to her. When Barbie had lunch, Pandy ate beside her at the table. When Barbie could get away with it, Pandy took a bath with her. Barbie's love for that doll was, from Pandy's point of view, pretty nearly a fatal attraction. By the time I knew Pandy, she was not a particularly attractive doll. In fact, to tell the truth, she was a mess. She was no longer a very valuable doll. I'm not sure we could have given her away. But for reasons that no one could ever quite figure out, in the way that kids sometimes do, my sister Barbie loved that little rag doll still. She loved her as strongly in the days of Pandy's rackedness as she ever had in her days of great beauty. Other dolls came and went. Pandy was family. Love Barbie, love her rag doll. It was a package deal. Once we took a vacation from our home in Rockford, Illinois, to Canada. We had returned almost all the way home when we realized that the Illinois border that Pandy had not come back with us. She had remained behind at the hotel in Canada. No other option was thinkable. My father turned the car around and we drove from Illinois all the way back to Canada. We were a devoted family, not a particularly bright one, perhaps, but devoted. We rushed into the hotel and checked with the desk clerk in the lobby, no Pandy. We ran back up to our room, no Pandy. We ran downstairs and found the laundry room. Pandy was there, wrapped up in the sheets, about to be washed to death. The measure of my sister's love for that doll was that she would travel at the way, she would travel all the way to a distant country to save her. It's raining yet again. That's not in this story. Pandy had not been much of a bargain for a long while. And by now, the only logical thing left to do was to toss her out. But this mother could not bring herself to do. She held Pandy one last time, wrapped her with exquisite care in some tissue, placed her in a box, and stored her in the attic for 20 years. When I was growing up, I had all kinds of casual playthings and stuffed animals. My mother didn't save any of them, but she saved Pandy. Want to guess why? When I was younger, I thought it was perhaps because my mother loved my bratty little sister more than she loved me. The nature of my sister's love is what made Pandy so valuable. Barbie loved that little doll with, with the kind of love that made the doll precious to anyone who loved Barbie. All those tears and hugs and secrets got mixed in with the rags somehow. If you love Barbie, you just not naturally love Pandy too. More years passed. My sister got married and moved far away. She had three children, the last of whom was a little girl named Courtney, who soon reached the age where she wanted a doll. No other option was thinkable. 
Barbie went back to Rockford, back to the attic, and dragged out the box. By this time, though, Pandy was more rag than doll. So my sister took her to a doll hospital in California. There really is such a place. And had her go through reconstructive surgery. Pandy was given a facelift or liposuction or whatever it is that they do for dolls until after 30 years, Pandy became once again as beautiful on the outside as she had always been in the eyes of the one who loved her. I'm not sure she looked any better to Barbie, but now it was possible for others to view what Barbie had seen in her. When Pandy was young, Barbie loved her. She celebrated her beauty. When Pandy was old and ragged, Barbie loved her still. Now, she did not simply love Pandy because Pandy was beautiful. She loved her with the kind of love that made Pandy beautiful. More years passed. My sister's nest will soon be emptied. Courtney is a teenager now preparing for a young woman. And Pandy, Pandy's getting ready for another box. When we talk about being sent, when we pray that prayer, send me, I want every single one of us to go with an understanding of the way that God loves us. And get this, and with an understanding of the way he loves the people that he's sending us to. We may not be pretty. We may be a little rough around the edges, but we are loved. And that's what that story hopefully reminds you of, of how God loves us, even though maybe we're sometimes a little ragged as well. This is what he goes on to say in his book. There is such a love, a love that creates value in what is loved. There is a love that turns rag dolls into priceless treasures. There is a love that fastens itself onto ragged little creatures for reasons that no one could ever quite figure out and makes them precious and valued beyond calculation. This is a love beyond reason. This is the love of God. This is the love with which God loves you and me. And then one more quote. He says this, there is a wonder about you. Raggedness is not your identity. Raggedness is not your destiny, nor is it mine. Listen, we may be unlovely, yet we are not unloved. So when we're sent, Remember how much God loves you and remember how much he loves the person that he's sending you to. Now, in Mark chapter 2, there's a story I want us to focus on this week. In Mark chapter 2, it's a story that I absolutely love. It's, it's one of those stories that actually it's also recorded in Matthew, also recorded in Luke. And in case you're new to all this, there's four particular books in the Bible that just talk about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So three of these four, three of the four, talk about this one particular story. And we're going to look at it in Mark chapter 2. But in this story, what we're going to see is not just Jesus as the hero, which he typically is in the story. There's some other people who are some pretty cool heroes in the story, too. And I want us to notice what they do and what they're up to. So here it is. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, i got to stop for just a second, because where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. He's raised in Nazareth. Why do they call Capernaum a home? Oh, by the way, during Jesus' ministry time, he spent most of his time in this area. And 
Capernaum was kind of the hub. It was like the, the, the central headquarters for those three years of ministry. Yeah, he spent time way down here in Jerusalem every now and then, but most of what happens happens around the Sea of Galilee and right here in Capernaum and the, everything around here. It was right over here where he fed the 5,000, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. It was, it was in this area where he did so many of his miracles, so much of his teaching. So many things happened right here in Capernaum. So he says he comes back home. This is where he had been kind of centrally located during his ministry. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So they're in somebody's house, everything's packed, and he preached, listen to this, preached the word of them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Okay, so you got the picture, right? So we don't know how big the crowd was that was bringing him. There's several friends, but at least four of them were carrying him. They get there. They can't get in. They go up on top of the roof, and they create a hole up there and lower him right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for a minute. This little series, uh, this two weeks, I'm just calling visible faith. I got the idea of the idea for the series from that line right there. Because faith is something that can be seen. Jesus saw their faith. Faith may start here, it may start here, it may start here, but it, it comes out like in a way that is, is visible, it should. And Jesus saw their faith. But, but notice this. It doesn't say he saw the faith of the paralyzed guy. He saw the faith of the friends who tore a hole in the roof and brought their faith. Because here was the idea. The friends are thinking, this is their faith. If we can just get our friend to Jesus his life is going to be forever changed. Okay, so Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, and by the way, this is a twist that nobody saw coming. He says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Every time I read this, I'm trying to picture what's going on. I picture there's these, these at least four guys still up there, and they're looking down. I, I was like, it's not recorded for us, but I just know that one of them was like, Jesus, he can't walk. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, we brought him over here because he can't walk. Like, why would he say this? It kind of caught some people by surprise. Kind of caught some people off guard, right? But isn't this just like Jesus? We think we know what our greatest need is, but he really knows what our greatest need is. And this man's greatest need was not to walk. His greatest need was forgiveness. And my greatest need might be, uh, I think, huh, to get that new job or, or to find that person and get married or to, what, you know, we, we think our greatest need is, but, but Jesus knows our greatest need is, is forgiveness, to be made right with God. That, that's our greatest need. But he doesn't stop there. So we keep reading. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, I love this, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Which is easier? Well, <laughs> That's kind of a trick question, right? Like, it's not really possible for any of us. 
But, but for God in the flesh, he's like, I can do either. And he says, so that you can know that I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. By the way, pick up your mat and walk. The guy picks up his mat and he walks out of the house. Now, wait a minute. They, they couldn't even get in earlier. It's so packed. By the way, it's still packed. But you ever seen one of those scenes where everybody's all of a sudden, they're just like, and they, let, they make room for this guy to walk out in front of them. That, that's what's going on here. Jesus saw their faith, forgave his sins, and healed him. And I want you to see some stuff here because I think it's key. And we look at these guys, these, these heroes of the story. Besides Jesus, the heroes are the friends. And then this comes to mind, comes to my mind anyway. Our faith is a personal thing, but not a private thing. Like our faith is, is, a, is a, something we wrestle with on the inside, but, but when we really have faith, it like, it bubbles out, right? It shows up in our actions. It shows up in, in our words. It shows up in our attitude. It shows up in a way that people can see it. Like Jesus saw their faith. Other people can see our faith or the lack of it. It's, it's a visible, like tangible thing. And so we can, we can see this stuff. So there's a couple things about these guys I want us to get today. First of all, instead of waiting for someone else to help, I need to take personal action. If I'm going to pray that prayer, like send me, and God puts upon my heart like a need, like I can see a need, like faith in action, like I need to do something instead of just going, ah, somebody else will get that. Somebody else will get that. Somebody else will get that. I, I need to, if God put it on my heart, I need to figure out what I can do. And maybe I'm going to need other people to help make it happen. Like I can't carry this guy all by myself. I can't get up on top. I can't dig a hole in the roof all by myself. I'm going to need some other people. So maybe he puts it on my heart, but I get some other guys and I explain it to them and now it's on their heart. And so we're going to go do this thing together. That passion, that, that kind of faith and action is, is contagious. And God's trying to do something through us. Action. Think about it this way. For God so loved the world action that he gave his only son. Love is a verb, right? Love is a verb. We, we understand that. And here's what he says in 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. Everybody say actions, actions, and in truth. Not just with our words, our speech, but with actions and in truth. He goes, I, I want you to understand this. There's got to be something happening here because he said, I want, you to, I want you to love me and I want you to love your neighbor. Or like John Ortberg said, love me, love my rag dolls. It's a package deal. Love me, love my rag dolls. It's a package deal. So, so these guys that I, I see in this story, one of the things that I think is going on below the surface, the one the thing maybe that, that calls them to action with their faith and with their love for their friend is this uh, whatever it takes kind of a, an attitude, whatever it takes. 
You know, we, we've been talking in our church for some time about a top five list. These are people that we think about often, pray for regularly. These are people who we know in our life, family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, whoever it is. These are people that God has placed in our life that we know they don't, they don't have a relationship with God. Maybe they're not connected to his church family in some way. And so these are people we're thinking about and praying for. And we, we want them to know who Jesus is. We're going we're gonna to invite them to Easter. We're going to invite them to a, a service. We're, we're going to spend some time with them, invest in that relationship, you know, invest and then invite. So this is what we're trying to do. But it's this whatever it takes mentality that has to accompany this kind of faith in action, this faith with personal action, like whatever it takes. If I need to tear a hole in a roof, like that's what I got to do, right? See how they love one another. I know you may not be able to read this. This guy's name's Tertullian. He wrote this in 197 AD, and he's talking about the early church. See how they love one another. For the first 300 years of the church, some church historians say this way, the church basically grew 50% every year, year after year, for 300 years, and expanded all around the known world. See how they love one another. Why, why did it grow? Because of their love. You know, if you, if you listen carefully today, and honestly, you don't even have to listen carefully. You're going to hear this. People have all kinds of things to say about the church that aren't good. People complain about the church. But I don't typically hear people complain like this. Oh, I can't stand the church. They just, they just love too much. Yeah, too judgmental. Yeah, I've heard that one. Too hypocritical. Yeah, heard that one. Love too much? No. I don't hear it that way. How would that be a problem, right? Can you, can you even imagine a world where, again, the church all around the world was actually known for the way they loved each other and loved people? Can you imagine a valley? I don't know, maybe our valley? What it would look like, what, what the experience would be, what, what people would say if the, the church, in the churches all around this valley, were just known for truly loving people. Like this is, this is the action we're talking about. Like love in action, faith in action. It's going to show up in all these different relationships in our life. Here's another thing. What looks like an inconvenience, I need to see as an opportunity. You know, I might, I'm like, okay, let's, let's go do something. And then we're like, oh, but it's hard. And it's inconvenient. And I have to go out of my way. And it makes me uncomfortable. I mean, you list the excuses. They're there. They're available. But what about these guys? No city streets kept them away. No packed house kept them away. No roof kept them away. Like, one of my friends, he's a pastor, he calls these guys the roof wreckers. And I like that. And I was thinking, I wonder if we got any roof wreckers in our church. I think we do. I think we do. People who are just willing to look for the opportunity, even if it's going to be hard, even if it's a challenge, even if it's uncomfortable. And, and our primary example for this really is Jesus. I mean, we see these guys as an example of this, but Jesus is the example. In fact, God, in his love for us, like came to our rescue, and there was nothing convenient or comfortable about that, about sending his son to die for us. In Romans chapter 5, it says it this way, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself 
for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God, listen to this, put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now, this is Romans 5, 6 through 8, and maybe it's a translation you're not used to hearing, but this is, this is the idea. But God loved us so much that he came to our rescue even when, when we weren't cleaned up yet. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us and gave his life for us. There's nothing convenient or comfortable about that. But that's what his love did. He saw the opportunity. In fact, so much of what Jesus did was about opportunity, wasn't it? You watch Jesus in Mark chapter 2, the very next story, like he leaves there and he winds up seeing a guy named Levi, who we also know as Matthew, who also then wrote one of those gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote Matthew. But at the point of this intersection with Jesus. He wasn't a believer yet. He didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus meets him, says, hey, follow me. And the first thing they do is they go to his house and he has a party. Guess who he invites? All of his very unreligious friends. The religious leaders get whiff of it and they're over there. They're always looking for something that Jesus is doing that, you know, bothers him so they can catch him in something. And sure enough, Jesus is just relaxing with a bunch of people who they would consider sinners, scoundrels, misfits, and Jesus just hanging out with him. There's this, there's this opportunity, right, that he didn't, want to, he didn't want to miss, even if it's messy, even if it's un- inconvenient. He's always looking for the opportunity. I have a couple of pictures that have happened at our church over the years that kind of keep this focused for me. Uh, one year, we had a lady in our church. Her name was Mary Dillenbeck. She's long gone and been with Jesus for many years now. She was about 4'10 in heels. Just a short little lady. And I remember it was, it was this section right there, all the way about third row from the back. I happened to be in the back during the worship time, and a worship leader just says, okay, turn around and give somebody a hug or say hi to This is like pre-COVID. No. So he just turned around, give somebody a hug, and she turns around and two seats over from her, she goes, and I'm, I'm like 10 feet away from him. I'm watching this whole thing. She looks up and there is this dude, sleeves cut off, fully tatted, tats up his neck, onto his head. He's probably 6'4", 6'5", maybe 280, solid rock. The kind of guy you don't want to make mad, right? Like this if we're going to pick teams, I want to be on his team, no matter what he's doing, right? I want to be on his team. So she turns to give a guy a hug, and she looks, and she, this smile breaks out, and she just puts her arms around his waist, because that's about how tall she is compared to him. Just puts, and she says, I'm so glad you're here. And I just burst into tears. Just watching, I'm like, that's what we're talking, that's, that's what Jesus was like. He would go to the people who the religious people would never spend time with. And that's who he's hanging out with. 
even though it was uncomfortable or inconvenient or maybe sometimes a little messy. Another story was we were having a, a baptism day, and uh, we had several people getting baptized. And uh, at the end of the service, we just gave people the opportunity. Several people got up to go. A few of the ladies who got up to go were a part of a recovery home. And so we, we knew a little bit just because of where they were coming from, some of their story, right? So they go back, and they're back there. And so for each person, though, I stick a mic in their face, and I say, okay, tell us why you're doing this. And then we do the good confession. So I say, you know, why are you doing this today? And I stick the mic in her face. I'm expecting, like, I need a new beginning, or I need Jesus. Both would have been great, and I've heard both of those from other people. But she said, I know now that drugs will never save me. And I know now that prostitution will never save me. But Jesus can, and I need him. And our church just busted out clapping. Because this is the very kind of a person who Jesus would have sat with and hung out with. And while other people would have maybe been too good for that, the only perfect person on the planet could see the value in that rag doll just like he sees in my life. No matter how broken or how messed up we can be at times. There's, a, there's something about Jesus I love watching as I'm reading it seems like he's never really in a hurry. Like he just like it stops and talks to people. Like, didn't he have a bunch of important stuff to get done? Like he's like the son of God. He's, he's got to die and all, but he's got a bunch of stuff to kind of get done in just three years' time. But he never seems rushed. And yet there is, don't miss this, there is an urgency. Because as he's walking, every person has value to him. Man, I wish I was like that. Sometimes it's because we're distracted. Or sometimes it's because we think maybe our agenda is so important, we don't have time for that person. And we just blow right on by. But not when we read Jesus, he's like, he just keeps stopping and looking people in the eye and letting them know they're valued and they're loved. There, there's a guy... Uh, I, I only know this one quote from him, but I absolutely love his name. His name is C.T. Stud. Dad, why don't you give me a cool name like that instead of just John? C.T. Stud. I love that name. This is what he said. Some men, or some, want to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Like, it can be inconvenient. It can be uncomfortable, but I'm still going to be looking for that opportunity. When I, when, I, son, I, when I pray, send me, and I really understand this, this whole love thing, not only that God loves me, but he loves that person too. Like, I, I want to go, and I want to be right where it's the messiest because they need to hear the good news too. One more thing. Instead of keeping God's love to myself, I need to share it. You know, I, I don't know if these guys, the guys in the story in Mark 2, I don't, I don't know if they'd already had an encounter with Jesus. We don't get any of their names. We don't have any of the backstory. Maybe they had already seen Jesus in action. They, they'd already seen 
miracles. Maybe they'd only heard about what he was capable of doing. But as soon as word got to them that he was in town, in Capernaum, they, like, they went and grabbed their friend and they got him there and they tore a hole in a roof because they just, they just knew if we get our friend in front of Jesus, everything's going to change. See, one of the things we say at our church is this, if heaven and hell are real, the most loving thing we can do for anybody is introduce them to Jesus. And we, we believe heaven and hell are real because Jesus talked about both of them. But the most loving thing we can do is introduce people to Jesus. Anybody know who these guys are? What's their names? Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is his name. And he tells a story about after coming out of a comedy, they're com comedians and magicians, after coming out of a comedy show, a guy came up to him, and, and Penn's an atheist. Guy comes up to him with a Bible in hand, hands it to Penn, and he says, hey, I wrote something in here just for you. He goes, I want to give this to you. And he says, I, I, and he's a, almost a little awkward, like, I, I guess I'm, I'm proselytizing, but he goes, I just want you to know uh, that God loves you, and, and I want you to have this Bible. He goes, I'm not crazy. I'm just a businessman, but I want you to have this. And Penn Jillette says, I have great respect for a guy like that. He goes, I'm an atheist. He goes, but think about it. If you really believe in heaven and hell, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? In fact, here's his direct quote. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not Tell them that from an atheist. He says, I have no respect for somebody who believes in everlasting life and they don't tell anybody. Let me give you another picture of it. Let's say you're on your street and you see a little kid, three or four years old, playing in the street. Uh, ordinarily, your street's not very busy, not a big deal, and yet you see a truck coming and that truck's coming like 50 miles an hour. How much would you have to hate that kid not to do everything you possibly could to get him out of the street in time? And I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm right there with you sometimes. I just feel like life is just going so fast and we've got so many things on our plate. We're doing so many things. The people right next to us who are desperately in need of the love and grace of Jesus, we, we just don't see them. We don't recognize that maybe God has sent us to them. And maybe, maybe sometimes people say it like this. I, I'm just not comfortable like talking about God and stuff with other people. A.W. Tozer, he said it this way. The things that are closest to your hearts are the things we talk about. And if God is close to your heart, you will talk about him. Let me, let me tell you something. If you spend any time with me, you're going to hear about my family. You're going to hear about my grandkids. Probably won't talk about my kids, but I'll just go from my wife to my grandkids. I'll, I'll talk about my grand. You're going to hear about my grandkids. You'll probably hear about mountain biking. You'll hear about photography. You better hear about Jesus. Like whatever, whatever is near and dear to our heart, whatever we're passionate about, whatever we enjoy, it's like we're going to talk about it. We're going to find a way. And so again, I just encourage you, whether... That is a comfortable thing for you or not. Even in, inconvenient, look for the opportunity. Take those Easter invite cards. 
And by the way, this is not just about Easter. This is a way of life for us, a community. One, one of our strategies, we talk about it this way, is be a friend and bring a friend. That's not just to a special occasion like Christmas or Easter. That's like all the time. In fact, last weekend, on Sunday alone, we had seven first-time families with 16 kids, all first-time kids, last week. And that's a regular thing for us. Like every week, somebody's new. Every week, somebody's new. And why is that? Because you guys are doing this stuff. You're inviting. You're going out of your way. You're building relationships. You're bringing your friends. You're letting them know. So I'm going to encourage you again, grab a handful of those Easter cards. Have them with you. Have them in your pocket. Have them in your purse. Have them in your car. And just be ready because in the next two weeks, you don't even know how many opportunities God's going to put right there. But if you're praying for those opportunities, you might just see them. You might just see them. I've been thinking about how to say this. If we want to make it hard for people to go to hell, we've got to make it easy for them to come to church. If we want to make it hard for people to go to hell, we've got to make it easy for them to come to church. And so we're just going to say, like we've been saying for years, just come as you are. You don't have to clean up, fix up, get your life straightened up for it. Just, just come and meet Jesus and join us in this process of being transformed to become more like him. But man, none of us have arrived. None of us are there yet. It's this journey that all of us are on. And so we're going to help each other with this. So if you are watching online and you want to respond or have questions, you can always email us at office at community.cc. If you have the app, you can respond on there too. Just fill out the communication card and let us know. And here, you know, use the app. Let us know the decisions you're making or come and find somebody after the service and tell them, hey, I'm, I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm ready to be baptized. So Easter weekend, we're going to give people the opportunity at the end of the service to get baptized. And so we're going to have a bunch of baptisms Easter weekend. We encourage you, man, if you've been thinking about that or if you have a family member that's been thinking about, make sure they're here because we don't know like, what God is wanting to do in somebody's life. And it could be the example of one person getting up to go that somebody else says, oh, good, I'm not alone, and they're going to go. You just never know how that works, how God can use you to help somebody else, even if that's the first time thing for you. So I want us to spend a moment in prayer they're going to let you get out of here. But what we're really going to do is we're going to send you into this community. Okay, let's pray. Father, it is with love and faith that we embrace the challenge and the mission that you've given us. God, we, we want to be reminded ourselves that, yeah, you love us even though we've been messed up, even though we're just ragdolls ourselves. And the reason we're valuable is because you love us, not because of something we've done. Then also, God, send us to the people who need to hear that. Send us to the people who need encouragement. Send us to the people who need love. Like, even if it's messy or inconvenient, God, show us the opportunities that come up along the way. Send us to be your church this week again. Not just when we gather as a church, but now, God, send us as your church. Where we work, where we live, in our homes, in our schools, send us. The people would see you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys. Love you. See you next time.